You know, Lily, it's a shame that we didn't set out to plan the intro for this week's episode earlier. But Randy, the appeal of our intros is that they're spontaneous. Well, spontaneous and they have one really bad joke in them. Oh, and and that they're short. Spontaneous, one bad joke, and over quickly. That's it. <laughs> well, yeah, that that is a winning formula. But in the spirit of this week's topic, I feel like we should have given other people a chance to contribute to the intro script. I mean, we are talking to Tanushi Pires about what it's like to work as a product manager on platforms and open source projects at a massive company. Okay, well, yeah, it's a bit late for that. But how about this? If you have a better intro for this episode, why don't you write it up or send it in and we'll see if we can merge it into a later version of this episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it's exactly how this works, but but yeah, let's do that. And let's get right into our chat with Dinny. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week on the podcast, we talk to the best product people from around the globe. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and discover more. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium content discounts to our conferences around the world, and training opportunities. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Hi, Dinny. So nice to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> awesome. Um, so before we get stuck into our topic, it'd be great if you could give our guests a real quick intro to you and how you got into product and what you're doing these days. Sure. Um, just to give you a quick overview. So I've been in product management for just over five years, but before that I've had um, a little bit of a career trajectory. So I started off um, studying biochemistry at university, uh, which was in incidentally my foray into just technical curiosity, I would say. I specialized in bioinformatics in a lot of my courses and the lab work that I did. And while I was at university, I um, did a lot of what one would call a jack of all trades for <laughs> a very early stage payments startup. And it specialized in providing advisory through a bot, if you will, and analytics for the average millennial slash Gen Z. Um, to essentially aggregate your um, payments into one and give you insights uh, from your bank accounts into how you could be saving better and make more financially sound decisions. So that was the startup I joined while I was at university in my undergrad. And I did a lot of what one would call the marketing functions in product manager and also a number of operational functions. So I did a bit of the growth marketing general marketing of paid socials and social media marketing. Um, and from there, I realized, well, this is very far away from my lab work. Mm -hmm. um, and I do actually enjoy this a lot. So um, I then also did an internship at Google and I realized maybe tech is the answer. And I had a little look at uh, traditional product programs at a lot of big tech companies but I did want something that was very fintech, given that has been my recent experience. So I joined um, the Royal Bank of Canada, who were just piloting their first product rotation program at a bank. Um, and I was lucky enough to be on their first cohort. And it was very much an associate product manager program. Um, and there were a couple of us on the cohort. And from 
then onwards it was product for the rest of my career. And during my time at the Royal Bank of Canada, I did a bunch of things. I rotated across different functions that pertained to asset management. But uh, within that, um, from a domain standpoint, I looked at both front end development and also data analytics as products. And from then onwards, I specialized further and further into technical product management. So what I initially started off was business domain, almost a sales or solution architect style product into data analytics product management and pivoting then later on to my roles at JP Morgan, I joined what one would call the platform team or the digital platform team at JP Morgan. And I've been in that domain ever since working on a, a whole number of things from uh, services, so more backend product management, um, all the way into uh, what we call horizontal product management. So working on building some of our portals that JP Morgan has externalized recently. And also as of very, very recently, leading a developer tooling team um, within the, our platform product management function. Awesome. Thank you for that um, for that intro. I was super interested to hear about the APM program, but I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole because <laughs> we've got so much to talk about on the other side of things, which was kind of platform product management. And also you do a lot um, on uh, open source as well. So before we get into the open source side of things, tell me a bit more about um, the tools that you work on. So they're kind of internal and dev tools, is that right? And how, like, who are your customers? How do you measure success when you're working on those tools? Yes, definitely. So um, basically, one of the things that um, we have looked at so far is a couple of products that relate to front end development and specifically how to build good front end applications. So we have focused very much in our open source frameworks on how we do that well um, and how we can share that work on GitHub. Um, so we have a product called Modular that is open source and that does focus on this monorepo concept and how you can build um, app React applications quickly and well uh, with all the tooling um, and the CICD embedded within it in a collaborative environment. So that has been a project I have been working on. And we have looked at a lot of ways of how we can measure success in an open source community. And some of the key takeaways we have found are looking at adoption rates. So looking at the percentage of developers and development teams that actively use our tooling, um, time saved and also efficiency improvements. The tool is open source as well as what we call inner source inside uh, companies big as JP Morgan also provides a lot of benefit. So we do do more traditional feedback and satisfaction capturing as well in-house. And we also look um, at developer productivity, so um, assessing the impact of the tool on individuals and also uh, feature adoption that way. And then we have a number of measures of evaluating cost savings as well alongside traditional stakeholder feedback um, in platform product management. I'm curious, when you, when you first moved into platform, I mean, Doing dev tools and platform, I have some experience in doing internal tooling. It's really hard because you have to not only do 
uh, the, the satisfy your customers, but you have to understand their use cases. So you have to understand the B2C use case as well as what you're trying to do. What was the learning curve like? You know, what do you wish you had known before you had transitioned into taking on a platform role? That is that is a great question. So um, as as you know, through my background, I never had formal developer training or any type of software engineering training for that matter. So a lot of it revolved around self-learning and also learning on the job, um, learning through developers around me in my early career and using some of my bioinformatics background to teach myself Python, a little bit of SQL, and also start giving myself a little bit of a uh, front-end boot camp as I uh, worked through on different products and through them. Um, so that was a humongous learning curve um, and constantly teaching myself the newest tech, the newest languages, the newest frameworks um, has been very rewarding. Um, and also being able to operate as a product manager going from an individual product that focused on data analytics earlier on in my career and moving into platform product has taught me to go through a, another learning curve. And I think I can boil those down into three um, areas. So one of them was this uh, getting accustomed to having a separation from end users when looking at a uh, platform product and unlocking the developer persona. That's also one of the main reasons we have open source in um, JP at the moment is really getting a developer community going um, and also understanding that we have to ha work very hard to understand user needs, but also how users connect through different platform integrations from a feature perspective. And also it forces us from a platform product perspective to look at prioritization at its utmost peak um, and how to say no is probably one of the biggest learning curves I also had to undertake when going from product to platform product management and the never-ending um, set of dependencies as well as something platform PMs have to advocate for and most importantly visioning and vision statements becomes a cross-product vision. So naturally collaboration there becomes one even more crucial than it does in an individual product capacity. I, I do have to ask, does anyone <laughs> ever say thank you? Yes, yes, that does actually <laughs> happen. It does happen, but there's many ways to say thank you. Um, there's, I guess, recognition. Awards are quite nice, um, that type of thing. But does tend to happen. <laughs> and you've kind of hinted at it there, but how would you define platform product management versus uh, other types of product management? That's, that's a good point. Um, I have many different definitions for this, but I think one good way to know if a product is part of a platform or has been built in a platform product context is knowing if you can quote-unquote, dog food the product amongst other product teams. Essentially, um, if you have a company-specific business rules, right, from an organizational context perspective, and then you have the plane of the platform, and then you have the domain context um, and essentially real-world facts, and you want to get to both the organization context and the domain context through using the tools available to you and having if in a developer tooling context, say the tooling team output be used by say the front end development teams. And um, that way you can prove value through say building sample apps um, that 
then can be seen by potential customers and thereby drive value. That's probably the best way in just using an example to see the difference between platform product versus traditional product. Um, and the other way I would like to define it is through um, how you measure success. So from a platform product perspective, stability, not to say stability isn't an, ever an issue, but uh, stability of the platform as a whole um, and SRE, telemetry, et cetera, that becomes a much larger focus uh, from a platform style thinking perspective. Mm-hmm. And also, as I mentioned earlier, your vision becomes very different. You start thinking about APIs um, and the te- beyond the technical tooling, um, API provisioning, um, SDK provisioning, and again, most importantly, unlocking the developer persona or engineering persona, um, as well as the end user or end customer that is typically on the business side. When when somebody new joins the team, what's the thing that you have to make sure that they understand? What's the, the biggest challenge of moving into this space that they may not have faced elsewhere in a, in a different product role? I think that that's a great question as well. So that I think goes back to a very similar theme. Um, one of the biggest things in general, because there are people like myself who don't come from a technical background working on technical tooling. So you don't necessarily have to come in with all the certifications and being a former developer, although that does help. But what does help a lot is the ability to learn um, and have an acumen for technical analysis. So being curious through uh, data-driven insights, if that makes sense, is very integral to a platform role because you are at the end of the day backing up your decision making through a lot of data and you're getting other people to come on the journey with you Um, and thereby you're also telling a lot of very skilled engineers and developers who you're working with to optimize the platform while you're making decisions so it becomes an equal part of traditionally sourcing um, customer feedback and requirements and sentiment for new feature with uh, data to support if this is something that can be scaled in a platform. So that's typically a scenario that um, new joiners experience. And yeah, that's one way to bring people in and get them in a platform mindset. And you've mentioned there a couple of areas in which it's really good to be quite strong if you're going to be a platform product manager around kind of technical analysis and, um, and I guess just generally being quite technical do you think that you know you need to have an engineering background I mean obviously you didn't come from an engineering background like how much is that an advantage versus a disadvantage um, in that sort of platform product management role definitely so I think the the disadvantage for sure is that you're coming in and you're immediately met with a lot of engineers uh, speaking in intricate detail about their technical implementation details. Um, And a lot of engineers are obviously brilliant at what they do, but they come in with that solutioning mindset, right? So as as we all have experienced, um, and being a strong platform product manager, right, is being able to discreetly and with facts and knowledge, be able to push back on that and have an alternative if that is the case or um, dig deeper into why that consideration is being proposed. Um, so that's definitely something that has to be learned. And also one thing that has helped me a lot 
from a non-technical background going to a platform, very technical set of products, is this concept of preventing, quote-unquote, go-around with platforms, mm-hmm. i.e. you want, if you are not very technical yet, but you want to understand what the impact of that technical feature could be as you learn through learning maybe cloud uh, strategies and doing your cloud certifications and maybe playing around with some front-end development is understanding what the client team wants and what the central system is that you're working on and the custom system that is that may already exist, right? So how do you prevent that go around from going from a custom system to the client team? You want to make it very much a central system and build into the platform. So being able to segment that um, visually and being able to understand that from a client perspective and understand architecturally how that works is something that I first started to do. Hey folks, are you looking for an opportunity to learn from the best, connect with other PMs and sharpen your skills? Then you won't want to miss MTPCon in San Francisco on June 14th. This year's lineup of incredible speakers includes Christian Idioti, a partner at Silicon Valley Product Group, Yiwei Ang, Chief Product Officer at Tawabat, Natalia Williams, Chief Product Officer at Hootsuite, and many more. Also, check out the schedule on June 13th. The team have arranged a bunch of in-person interactive workshops led by experienced product managers who will share their secrets and demonstrate their tips for success. These workshops are designed to be for everyone, total newbies and seasoned pros alike. Go learn some stuff and make some new product friends. So what are you waiting for? Grab your tickets now at mindtheproduct.com slash San Francisco, and we'll see you there. Denny, I'm curious. So you're working on platforms that improve the productivity of your dev teams. You'd think that would be a competitive advantage. Why do you, why do you guys open source this stuff? Another good point. Um, so what we are trying to do uh, through open sourcing is uh, also showcase that we are thinking about the developer persona, especially in historically in banking, that is a very new phenomenon. Whereas larger players that have been doing this for a while, like AWS, um, APG, et cetera, are very well-established cloud giants and um, naturally authentically fit into the developer persona. So through open sourcing, we are demonstrating that we can also uh, address developers and how they build front-end apps. And we um, also are looking into how we merge that with a design system as well that is now publicly available called Salt. Um, So we are looking into that Spotify design system style domain work as well. So that's definitely something we see value in doing. Um, And it's also a good way to test out externally how features are perceived um, from a developer's perspective. So it gives our developers a lot of confidence to see that. Um, And as mentioned before, we do a lot of that inner sourcing as well. So it's a two-pronged fork um, in and out uh, to get that varied feedback and also figure out what gets platformized and what doesn't. So how do you decide what gets open sourced? um, The way I think in general one decides what to get open sourced and there's no hard and fast rule for this um, is generally trying to figure out what the 
project goals are. Um, so is it looking to build a community as the case was with us, um, building a developer community, fostering collaboration, also receiving contributions? Um, and in some cases, it can also be to gain visibility, right? To say, look, I'm in this space, um, here I am, and this is how we contribute. Um, it's also understanding and identifying like what the core functionality is. So is there something that maybe others can benefit from that um, one might do really well? So is it beneficial to open source the core components to attract contributors and create a collaborative ecosystem around the project? Um, or is it more to say that here is a list of key dependencies that a project could rely on and maybe third party libraries or tools um, could benefit others who may have similar problems? Um, and so one thing we also would want to look at is how to minimize restrictions and potential conflicts in an open source project. So what, like in the decision tree, what could that look like? Um, and then also looking at potential licensing, ensuring that um, there are guidelines in place. Like there are, for example, MIT's license, Apache licenses, general public licenses, et cetera. So where does the implementation fall into? Um, and then very importantly, also documentation um, and also understanding that the code that is looking to be open source is well documented internally um, before it is open to the public. And thereby, we also would want to look at how one should look at feedback and source feedback. Mm. Um, is it through a mailing list, forums, other communication channels, et cetera? So at the moment, um, in the case of modular, it is through the GitHub um, channels as well. And in general, um, I mean, I have my assumptions about why engineers contribute to open source projects, but sort of in general, what's your experience with why engineers enjoy contributing to, to projects like this? Sure. I think the, it's, it's a very simple answer at the surface level. Um, it is getting validation and very quick feedback on what engineers put out there. Um, and that's in, I guess, speaking objectively, is very different to the traditional product model where one would have to go through cycles, right, of shipping a product and features to see material impact and value and uh, an increase in satisfaction scores like CSAT, for example. Um, so this is a fast way of getting feedback from other developers as well um, and getting more technical, detailed feedback that developers appreciate, which helps them iterate faster. That's something I've noticed in general. Dini, at the, at the best of times, trying to work with stakeholders and your team and everything else, it's like herding cats. <laughs> when you're working with open source and you've got the potential for anybody to contribute to a project, how do you maintain any semblance of control and, and actually manage it? Or, or is part of it just letting go and seeing what happens? Um, a part of it is essentially um, controlling who generally has access from a sense of what commits do you eventually merge into the core of the uh, product itself. So there's there's a guideline from that perspective of how many commits can you get in. And obviously the approvers are uh, core contributors of the product in-house as well. So they can pick what goes in and what doesn't. So there's a bit of moderation that takes place. Um, and there's also uh, curation of the feature that is decided to be 
brought in into the open source project. So if it's an existing open source project, um, some things may not want to necessarily publish and other things you continue um, publishing if it has enough reach, for example, or if it has enough code audits that it could pass. And I've just realised we haven't actually sort of specifically explained what open source is or what it means. So if you're like explaining it to someone new who hasn't come across this concept before, like how how do you explain it? Um, sure. So in the the simplest way to describe it is um, any type of open source software is any type of code that a community can inspect modify or elevate. Um, it's probably the simplest way to explain what that is. Um, and personally, I see open source as a big community driver and a, a big part of the developer community unlocker. Um, so I typically explain it that way. Awesome. Thank you. Um, we probably should have done that beginning, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um and then, so one of the things that I find really interesting about this is obviously you've got a lot of engineers that are contributing to your open source project. And um, often I get asked by product managers about like how they can get into the product space, like, or, or not asked by product managers, but product people who are aspiring product managers um, and how they can gain experience in product management. Is open source like a good route for kind of volunteering some time to um you know do a bit of user research or help with prioritization you know is there a way for aspiring product managers to connect with the open source communities and provide some services so that they can also gain experience definitely that's a that's a great way to get started and also a very un non-traditional way to do it um especially it, Folks who are not technically inclined should also consider this to just learn more about a project as well. Um, and a good way for aspiring product managers is to give value to open source communities is through documentation. So really good developer documentation and learning how to write good developer documentation through guided tutorials, etc. is a great way to start um, and providing that essentially as a as a starting point to build up a product portfolio to certain projects where um, you might really be interested in and would like to see it succeed is always a good way to get started and essentially build upwards from the documentation into what one might call productizing um, an open source project. So that's that's a good way to start, especially if you're coming uh, from a wide variety of backgrounds, like from a BA route or um, QA or anything around the tech space or even completely outside of it is a good way to get started but that's also something um i have recently started addressing so i started a bit off topic creating tiktoks which i've explained to randy before um to address this and essentially get more non-technical people involved in the tech space and not be perturbed what by what the general industry at the moment but really have a look so yesterday to your point open source is a good way to get in there. And we, we definitely have a link to your TikTok in the, uh, in the show <laughs> notes for this. So if you're old school like us and you actually click links in show notes, then, you know, <laughs> that's one good way to find her, Denny's uh, uh, TikTok. Um, 
Along those those lines, though, uh, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but it's in a good way. Uh, when people move into working with open source and they haven't done this before, what's the the lesson you think that they need to learn? What's the thing you wish you had known before you had come into this space? Um, I think what I would have wanted to learn more is, which doesn't sound that illustrious, but it's just overall understanding more than the cool repos and the features of in the open source landscape, but understanding um, a bit more of who the very product of me, who the developer persona is. So really doing personal profiles of the developer as we would for treating the developer really like a buyer persona or a customer persona um, as part of our framing work that one would do as a product manager. And even if you're new to product, taking the time to do that when entering a potential open source project is it has a lot of value. Um, and another thing, which is probably not that glamorous is, but very essential is understanding the emergence of security awareness in open source. Um, so there's things like the open source software security mobilization plan. So there's different streams of investment in uh, building more laws around open source and what that means. Um, so does, I think the European Cyber Resiliency Act and um, other similar acts like that that are coming about, which is obviously very important when entering the open source space as a product manager as well. And the other obviously very topical part is understanding open source and the ethical implications of AI, ML, and also deep learning. So for example, understanding that GitHub's AI-assisted copilot and how said models can be used in open source repositories um, and what that means for that particular repository. And I believe there's also Amazon's Code Whisperer and IBM's Project CodeNet, which are also very similar. So really delving into those facets as well. Um, that sounds like an awful lot of stuff to to get to grips with. Yes, I think I, this is, it's easier to say this in hindsight, I would say. <laughs> but, yeah, I had no idea before. And, but that's the beauty of it. Dilly, this has been so interesting. Thank you so much for joining us. We have time for just one more question. And I'm really uh, interested to know what you've kind of seen changing in the open source community during your time kind of being involved in it and and kind of what you see changing in the future as well. Sure. Um, so I can just speak generally about trends I've seen in the industry. So uh, one of them is seeing a lot of enterprises or enterprise-driven organizations, larger scale organizations, creating this concept of like a open source program office um, or like a virtual office, if you will, for different parts of open source operations. So this could include like setting guidance, compliance around what open source means to that particular company. And then also like creating training and tooling um, and also promoting open source community engagement. So that seems to be quite a trend. And then there's also looking at appointments um, of folks to executive levels for open source strategies and security, uh, maybe even legal and compliance if that pertains to the scale of the organization. And then also the concept of contributing to open source projects as a means of gaining expertise. Um, so really eliminating skill gaps um, is also something I'm seeing happen. Denise, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. We look forward to continuing to follow you on your TikToks and everything else. And 
learning more about this. This has been a really interesting and we really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for this conversation. It really has been great. The product experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and me, Randy Silver. Lou Ron Pratt is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg based band POW, that's P A U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank, regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. Thank you.